Welcome to the Bob Harden Show, bringing you news and commentary to keep you informed and enjoying life on the Paradise Coast. And now, here's your host, Bob Harden. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company. I hope you'll visit the website and give them a call. The website is johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. We have a terrific show for you today, including special guest Bob Levy, Chairman Emeritus of the Cato Institute. We'll also visit with Andrew Joppa, professor and author of Josephus of Oz. It is March the 1st, and on this day in 1692, in Salem Village, you've heard this story, in Massachusetts Bay Colony, Sarah Good, Sarah Osborne, and uh, Tituba, an enslaved woman from Barbados, were charged with the illegal practice of witchcraft. Later that day, Tatuva, possibly under coercion, confessed to the crime, encouraging the authorities to seek out more Salem witches. Trouble in the small Puritan community began the month before when 9-year-old Elizabeth Paris and 11-year-old Abigail Williams, the daughter and niece respectively, the Reverend Samuel Paris, began experiencing fits and other mysterious maladies. A doctor concluded that children were suffering from the effects of witchcraft and the young girls corroborated the doctor's diagnosis. With encouragement from a number of adults in the community, the girls, who were soon joined by other afflicted Salem residents, accused a widening circle of local residents of witchcraft, mostly middle-aged women, but also several men and even one four-year-old child. During the next few months, the afflicted area residents incriminated more than 150 women and men from Salem Village and the surrounding area of the satanic practices. In June 19, or 1692, the special court of Oyer, which means to hear and terminer to decide, convened in Salem under Chief Justice William Stoughton uh, to judge the accused. The first to be tried was Bridget Bishop of uh, Salem, who was found guilty and executed by hanging on June the 10th. Thirteen more women and four men from all stations of life and followed her to the gallows, and one man, Giles Corey, was executed by crushing. Most of those tried were condemned on the basis of their witnesses' behavior during the actual proceedings characterized by fits and hallucinations that were argued to be caused by the defendants on trial. In October 1692, Governor William Phipps of Massachusetts ordered the Court of Oyer and Terminer dissolved and replaced with the Superior Court of uh, uh, Justice, which forbade the type of sensational testimony allowed in the earlier trials. Execution ceased, and the Superior Court eventually released all those await, awaiting trial and pardoned those sentenced to death. The Salem Witch Trials, which uh, resulted in execution of 19 innocent women and men, had effectively ended now, you just like to think something like that couldn't happen today, but uh, I think I see real, real parallels with what's happened in Nazi Germany and uh, even in some form of, uh, I'm going to call it voodoo healthcare uh, during this pandemic. Somehow, some way, we get off on the wrong foot and uh, our human behavior just, well, sinks to le- uh, levels you can't even believe. <clears throat> 
A new Florida bill would expand the state's ban on classroom instruction on sexual orientation and gender identity in public schools. The legislation filed Tuesday by State Representative Adam Anderson would expand on the parental rights in education law, which had been denounced by critics as the Don't Say Gay bill, in prohibiting instruction from pre-kindergarten through eighth grade. State law currently only bans it from kindergarten through third grade. Very appropriate indeed. I think this, this is going to be a good law, and it's got nothing to do about saying gay. Again, just <laughs> one of the ways that the uh, the left likes to redirect. Well, the new College Board of Trustees voted to abolish diversity, equity, and inclusion bureaucracies at the board meeting on Tuesday. The board passed a motion to eliminate the Office of Outreach, Inclusion, Excellence, and Excellence, uh, and authorize the interim president to make necessary or appropriate personnel decisions. The office currently has four full-time staff positions and three part-time student employees with a total budget of $442,000, if you can believe that. Uh, this will result in an annual savings of more than 250000 according to the draft policy. A second motion passed to authorize the president to change the faculty handbook to eliminate the request for a statement <clears throat> regarding the uh, candidate's contribution to or approach to achieving diversity. <clears throat> Board members said the uh, president would have the authority to end mandatory diversity training such as workplace diversity, equity, and inclusion in action training for employees. In the proposed policy, uh, campus police would no longer be required to complete a 14-hour training to obtain diversity, equity, and inclusion in the workplace certificate. <laughs> it would also remove all diversity statements required from opening faculty positions and postings. New College of Florida is a top-ranked public liberal arts college and had around has around 700 students. Many of them are not happy with the changes, by the way, but uh, if they're smart, they'll stick around because the, uh, New College, I believe, is going to become something equivalent to Hillsdale College uh, in Michigan. New College of uh, Florida has become the first university in the nation to abolish its DEI bureaucracy, uh, ban coercive diversity statements and programming, and prohibit identity-based preferences in hiring admissions and other procedures, said the newly appointed member uh, Christopher Rufo, who has proposed abolishing the bureaucracies in early February. So this is a great step forward. Uh, I hope it'll be replicated in uh, many Florida schools. I understand that there is one school in uh, North Carolina that's done the same, but uh, this is a major step forward. And now, moving out of Florida... Chicago Mayor Lori Lightfoot on Tuesday failed to secure enough votes to advance to the runoff on Tuesday, losing her bid for a second term in office. In fact, this she's the first person in 40 years who had lost her bid for re-election. Uh, when former Mayor Jane Byrne was ousted in 1983, Lightfoot's loss sets up former Chicago Public Schools CEO Paul Vallis and Cook County Commissioner Brandon Johnson, both Democrats, for a head-to-head face-off for the election on April the 4th. So they'll get a new mayor. Hopefully, they'll be more effective in dealing with crime uh, and other issues than Lightfoot has been. The Washington Post reviewed every possible regulatory change, that's in quotes, every possible regulatory change that was made under President Trump and his administration found none of them contributed to the train derailment in East Palestine, Ohio. We decided to examine every possible regulatory change made under Trump that could be related to the accident and assess whether it may have had an impact. Uh, read a review published on Monday by Glenn 
Kessler of the Washington Post, from our analysis, none of the regulatory changes made during Trump's administration at this point can be cited as contributing to the accident. The review of every possible regulatory change made under Trump was conducted after U.S. Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg was called out for falsely claiming that the proposed rule with, uh, withdrawn in 2018 under the Trump administration had contributed to the train disaster. I think Buttigieg is finding out that there's a lot more accountability right now in his role in Transportation Secretary than what is mayor of a, a town in Indiana. Even a member of uh, Biden's own administration uh, called Buttigieg's claim about the East Palestine train derailment misinformation. <clears throat> On Thursday, the New York Times also acknowledged in a report that the claimed claims that the former President Trump's administration was responsible for train derailment in East Palestine uh, uh, is inaccurate. But by that point, of course, the harm had already been done. The word got out. Buttigieg's words were all over the air. But uh, no apology, of course. Uh, after Trump visit to, to the Ohio town, Buddha Judge followed, visiting East Palestine the next day. Meanwhile, President Joe Biden has yet to visit the afflicted area. He can't even remember if he talked to the mayor. <laughs> Unbelievable. And by the way, uh, Transportation Secretary Buttigieg on Tuesday defended his use of private jets while lecturing the peasants on the virtues of making sacrifices to stop climate change. He's under investigation for his constant use of private jets. He's taken at least 18 flights on private jets, all paid for by U.S. taxpayers. Everyday Americans face flight cancellations and long wait times because Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg has completely mismanaged air travel. Uh, that according to Executive Caitlin Sutherland of the Fox News Digital, yet he gets uh, to avoid all that by taking taxpayer-funded private jets to destinations with readily available commercial airline options. And for someone who's so holier-than-thou on reducing emissions, Buttigieg sure doesn't seem to mind the uh, pollution caused by his jet-setting. This is hypocrisy at its finest, or at its worst, and these troubling expenses to taxpayers must come under immediate scrutiny. And it is, actually, which is a good thing. Also, justices at the Supreme Court on Tuesday sharply questioned whether the White House had the authority to wipe out hundreds of billions of dollars in student loan debt <clears throat> unilaterally and without any congressional involvement, suggesting the high court may deal a fatal blow to what is arguably President Joe Biden's highest profile initiative thus far in his presidency. At issue is Biden's administration's attempt to erase huge quantities of student debt by uh, executive order, the White House has argued that the president maintains the authority under ex existing education statutes. On Tuesday, several of the justices questioned whether the Biden administration had the legal ability to forgive such a large debt. Do you think Congress shouldn't be surprised when half of a trillion dollars gets wiped off the books, said Chief Justice John Roberts? Uh, it's uh, pretty amazing. Justice Clarence Thomas, by the way, who had a lot of debt from uh, going to school, claimed that the loan forgiveness was a grant of $400 billion, which runs headlong into Congress's appropriations authority. We're talking about half a trillion dollars and 43 million Americans, Thomas held elsewhere, asking how this figures and fits into the normal understanding of congressional authority. 
Part of the debate uh, revolves around the semi-informal congressional rule known as Major Questions Doctrine, in which Cong- Congressional Research Service defines stipulates that if an agency seeks to decide an issue on major national significance, its action must be supported by clear congressional authority and authorization. So uh, Biden got what he wanted out of this, I think. He uh, wanted to get votes, but he was buying votes during the midterms. And uh, now, even if this is overturned by the Supreme Court and he can't uh, complete the action, he got the votes. (laughs) Unbelievable. And finally, uh, White House in this segment, finally in this segment, White House uh, Office of Public Engagement Director Keisha Lance Bottoms announced Monday she would be stepping down after service with the Biden administration since June. That's about eight months. Bottoms, the former mayor of Atlanta, that's where you've heard that name, described her tenure in the White House as extraordinary season. She said she didn't plan to stay that long anyhow, but uh, it's another setback for the Biden administration now seeing uh, Alicia Keisha, uh, Director Keisha Lance Bottoms for leaving uh, the administration. This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. I hope you visit the website and give them a call, johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine, be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. Coming up, Bob Levy. Chairman Emeritus of the Cato Institute, that and more, right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. I'm Bob Harden, the host of The Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rockin' good time. Lulabee's Diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60s decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly waitstaff has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Lulabee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Lulabee's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No reservations are needed. Check out the website at lulabees.com and stop by Lulabee's Diner, open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m., seven days a week. Lulabee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulabee's Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time. Collier County Sheriff Kevin Rambaugh says the number one reason the elderly become victims is isolation. The Collier Senior Center goes a long way in keeping seniors connected with the community and with each other. The Collier Senior Center, located at 4898 Coronado Parkway in Golden Gate, provides comprehensive information regarding services and resources that affect the quality of life of older adults and their caregivers in Collier County, empowering them to maintain independent and meaningful lives. Here's Esther Lully, director of Collier Senior Center. Everyone, every senior is welcome. There's diversity there. It's vibrant. It's a caring atmosphere. So there's a reason we offer the services and programs that we do. We want to help enrich the lives of senior members and provide support to their caregivers. Want to find out more? Visit CollierSeniorCenter.org. That's CollierSeniorCenter.org. 
or call the Collier Senior Center at 239-252-4541. That's 252-4541. Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by internationalhealthplans.com. If you're planning on traveling abroad, most health plans, health insurance plans, don't cover international travel. And you want to be able to travel with confidence. So take a look at internationalhealthplans.com. Make sure you're covered on that next uh, trip. Coming up, we're going to be visiting with Andrew Jopp, a professor and author of Josephus of Oz. Right now we have with us Bob Levy. He's the chairman emeritus of the Cato Institute. Bob, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Always a pleasure. Good to be with you, Bob. Thank you so much, Bob. Tell us about the Cato Institute. We are a libertarian think tank headquartered in Washington, D.C. and focused on free markets, private property, securing individual rights, and limited government, C-A-T-O. .org on the web. Thank you, Bob. So uh, I did not realize this, but the information you sent me that roughly 8,000 petitions are received for review by the Supreme Court. They usually select about 70 cases annually to actually go over. And you've suggested five cases uh, to discuss around uh, that, that are really raising important issues. I thought we might be able to start off by with Gonzalez versus Google. It's the uh, Social uh, content filtering by s- social media. Uh, th- this course has some importance. Yeah, Google owns YouTube, and and this case is about protection from civil liability for social media companies such as YouTube under what's called Section Two Thirty mm-hmm. of the Communications Decency Act. That section has two major provisions. First, no website and this is a direct quote from the statute, shall be treated as the publisher of any information posted by another information content provider. Mm -hmm. And then second, no website shall be held liable for restricting access to material that the site considers to be obscene, violent, harassing, or otherwise objectionable. So, in other words, Section 230 treats social media and similar websites as platforms for distribution of information and not as publishers of the information. So if you have a gripe, you can sue the publisher, but under 230, you cannot sue the platform. That's so interesting. So what's the uh, liberal gripe about Section 230? Well, liberals want more filtering to screen out what they believe to be misinformation, and and offensive speech. But if that were to come to pass, it might require websites to screen every picture, every video, every comment to avoid legal liability. And by the way, this is not just, you know, the social media companies. These are newspaper, online comment sections, online review sites. Those are now covered by Section 230 also. They would basically no longer exist. And here's a really wild number. YouTube users upload 500 hours of video every minute. Wow. So it would take an army of lawyers to be able to screen that kind of content. 
So what about the conservative gripe about Section 230? Just the opposite. Conservatives want less filtering because their perception is that conservative um, information has been uh, screened out. Yeah. That there's been that there's been bias. But if there were less filtering, that could mean posting things like terrorist propaganda and sexual harassment and bomb-making videos. And all of those things, by the way, are protected by the First Amendment. Mm-hmm. So if the, the social media companies were under orders to not to filter, that, that's a risk. The Google case is going to test a middle ground, and that is whether Section 230 immunizes these media companies, interactive computer companies, when they go one step beyond simply providing a platform, and that is they actually recommend information that's provided by another publisher. That is so interesting. So there's lots of social media companies. Will this case affect them all? Well, consider there are two models of these companies. Model number one is the Facebook, Twitter, Instagram model, where most of what you view on those websites is from acquaintances, friends of yours, mm-hmm. or high-profile people that you decide you're going you're gonna to follow. And that social media model won't be affected as much as the second model, which is the Google model. Again, we're talking about YouTube, really, and TikTok. Mm-hmm. Most of what's viewed on YouTube and TikTok is from strangers, people you don't know chosen by the platform's algorithm based on what your past interests have been. Mm -hmm. So to understand that, I think it's useful to think about it in a bookstore context. Suppose Barnes & Noble provided shelf space for a defamatory book. The person defamed, he could sue the author or he could sue the publisher, but he couldn't sue Barnes & Noble. But then suppose that Barnes & Noble goes a step further and actually recommends the book. Uh So does that mean that the store can then be sued? And if that's the interpretation, then these social media companies that use algorithms to guide people to specified content might have to filter much more rigorously. The problem, by the way, is it's very difficult for an algorithm trying to filter content to screen out, let's say, Nazi material How would it also not screen out anti-Nazi material, Uh or for that matter, humorous, satirical Nazi material? These are real problems with the application of these algorithms. By the way, the Babylon Bee got (laughs) kicked off of Facebook, so anything can happen. So how do you think uh, this case should turn out? It's a tough call. (laughs) My view is that a roadmap to content, which is what these algorithms provide. Uh, it's, a, it's a guide to, to users as to what might be of interest. It's not the same as endorsement of the content. So I would leave Section 230 alone. I think we need a free and robust Internet without government tipping the scales in favor of more uh, litigation. Uh, we're going to find out by June 30th a lot more about limited liability under Section uh, 230.
it's a hot case. Yeah, so the, the other thing that worries me, though, is you see the collusion between the FBI, the weaponizing of the FBI, their participation in making suggestions of what should be uh, deplatformed and so on. Uh, is, is this case going to address any of that stuff going on? It won't, but you're absolutely right. <laughs> if that collusion could be shown, then this gets transformed into government action. Mm-hmm. If government actually colludes with private industry to suppress content, then we're talking about a First Amendment problem, which is even uh, goes beyond, of course, Section 230. Yeah. And the uh, government is not permitted to, uh, to uh, suppress content in that fashion if the content is First Amendment protected. And much of this content uh, that allegedly has been subject to suppression has been First Amendment protected content. Yeah, so from from my standpoint, and uh, not being a lawyer, to me, the greater interest is around the collusion and what's happened with regard to the use of these platforms and as a political tool. Uh, is there any probability that'll come up in the case and be addressed? No, I don't believe so. Wow. But there is, of course, a probability that it will be addressed in a later case, mm. um, particularly with some of the, the, the disclosures that have been made over the past couple of months. So interesting. Bob Levy, again, Chairman Emeritus of the Cato Institute. Cato.org is the website, C-A-T-O dot org. Bob, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Always a pleasure, Bob. Good to be with you. Thank you so much, Bob. All right, coming up, <clears throat> excuse me, please. I've got this problem with red tide, and uh, <clears throat> yeah, we, I think we'll all be glad when it goes away. Coming up, we're going to visit with Andrew Joppa, professor and author of Josephus of Oz. That and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Do you have questions about your retirement? Ameriprise Private Wealth Advisor Jason Nardella with Nardella Financial Group, a private wealth advisory practice of Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, can help. With the exclusive Confident Retirement Approach, you'll work together to develop a retirement roadmap to get you where you want to go. Call Nardella Financial Group today at 239-325-1041. That's 239-325-1041. Office is located at 9015 Stratistel Court, Suite 103, Naples, Florida. The Confident Retirement Approach is not a guarantee of future financial results. Investment advisory products and services are made available through Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, a registered investment advisor. Finish what you started with a Hodges University wheel. You can complete your bachelor's degree in as little as one year with your previously earned credits. What's the wheel? It's a customized bachelor's degree in organizational management. Learn about and apply the business, management, and leadership skills you need to advance your career. You can get unmatched educational experience with classes held once a week on campus in Fort Myers, in Port Charlotte, or Naples. You'll be immersed in classes taught by professors with real-world experience in the areas of business, management, and leadership. This degree can be applied to all areas of professional career. Learn more by calling 239-938-7700. That's 239-938-7700. Or visit Hodges.edu. Stay near and go far with Hodges University. Well, 
Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Golf Shore Playhouse, changing lives through exceptional theater experiences. You can find out more and get tickets by visiting the website golfshoreplayhouse.org. We have with us Professor Andrew Joppa. He's also an author of a terrific read. It's called Josepha Savaz. Andy, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Good morning, Bob. Here we are. It's March already. The year just flies right by, doesn't it? It certainly does. It's just ama- actually amazing how quickly time passes. So we typically start our discussions with good news. you have any good news for us? Uh, sometimes I have to dig and uh, come up with something that uh, is just for, for the show's purpose alone. But there, is some, there are some good news stories out there, I think, today. Uh, University of North Carolina has eliminated uh, DEI, that's Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion, uh, in their hiring process, their promotion process, and their tenure process. Uh, this was not, of course, spearheaded by the <clears throat> by the faculty or the administration at University of North Carolina, but rather by the students, alumni, and their benefactors. Now, I always like to see cracks in the dam because, in this kind of a case, of course, uh, because again, it may indicate that the dam may be bursting. So, to see DEI banned in a historically a liberal college like University of North Carolina, I think, is really a a good news story. It it may be even a bigger story than I'm making it right here, Bob. Um, another good news story is... Well, Andy, uh, if I could happened. just interrupt you here uh, briefly, uh, one of the stories I covered today is the new college, which is uh, in uh, Florida, has been now totally revamped. They've got a new board of trustees, and they have done exactly the same thing. Of course, we have their student protests, people who don't like what's going on, but... I think if these students hang in there, they're going to be very proud that they, they graduated from a new college because it's, uh, I think it's going to become the Hillsdale College of the South. Well, I'm, I'm certainly glad to hear that. I hope we see more and more of that. I, and again, as I just indicated, I hope it extends uh, to the existing major universities uh, as UNC is. And uh, if it can ever penetrate into the, uh, uh, the hallowed halls of, of the Ivy League schools, then, uh, then I think we may actually be getting someplace with the pushback against these issues. So uh, these, these are good news stories. And again, as I just said, these may be bigger stories than we're even making him out at this moment. Right. Um, another good news story uh, is something that happened yesterday, uh, which is, again, a, a uh, may perhaps a crack in the dam. Lori Lightfoot was defeated in her <laughs> primary run for the Chicago uh, mayor's position. Uh, she finished third in the field, and the, the runoff will only be between the first and second uh, candidates. So I, th- I think to see Lori Lightfoot defeated uh, in, a, obviously, a, a, a strong liberal bastion. Now, again, the two that won, the first and second, were also definably liberal. There's no question about it. But I think just to have Lori Lightfoot defeated, I think, is a, is a real statement that there's a growing analysis taking place even in the liberal enclaves as it pertains to some of the extreme leftists that are destroying particularly the large uh, Democrat-controlled cities, Bob. Yeah, it's a, it is just great. I, I don't know why I don't have anything to do with Chicago. But I was so happy to read that she actually got defeated and won't be in the runoff. Uh, she's just been a horrible mayor. Hopefully, a, a new broom will sweep clean because these people need some justice and need some protection uh, from the law. 
Well, again, I, I don't have any interest in Chicago per se. I, I don't root forward or against it. My brother had lived there for 10 years. We made several trips out to him. It's, it's a fine, historic city in, in America's heartland. Um, but again, I think the stories like uh, a Lori Lightfoot defeat have perhaps larger potentials. If, if again, the, the crack can appear in the dam of the, uh-huh. de- the Democrat radical control of the large cities, then I think that we're, we're maybe getting someplace as a nation, Bob. Uh, that's an interesting observation. Well, thank you for that, Andy. Any other good news? Um, well, this is uh, not really a good news, but I think it's a an exposing piece of good news. On Monday, Joe Biden appearing before a black group in terms of uh, uh, Black History Month made made the absurd statement that he said, uh, "I may be a white boy, but I'm not stupid." Now, that remark in itself is outrageous. But when we back <laughs> up a little bit to 2019, uh-huh. he said, "Poor kids are just as bright and talented." as white kids. So here we have him uh, suggesting that because he's white, he's not inherently stupid. On the other hand, if we back up just four years, we can have him saying that the goal of the poor kids is to only be as bright and talented as white kids. So, again, the incongruity of, of Biden and his, his positioning on, on issues is just uh, is, is so dramatically uh, absurd uh, that I think this eventually creates a crack in another dam, Bob. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, I, I just I envision his staff biting their nails and listening to what he's saying. <laughs> it's crisis management from one day to the other every time he opens his mouth. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's just no, no limit to the absurdity. And uh, unfortunately, there's still a, a mass of Americans, I'm not going to say the majority, but, but certainly a significant percentage of, of Americans who could listen to the absurdity offered by Joe Biden and not blink yeah. uh, with no realization, no ability to process rationally uh, the incongruities, the, the absurdities of, of Biden's comments. So uh, this continues to be a source of discouragement that the absurd is not easily identified by approximately one-third or more of the American people. Well, and what's really concerning, of course, is that uh, he is in charge of making decisions with regard to, for example, our nuclear arsenal. And uh, you, you just think that as he, he, he doesn't demonstrate, a, doesn't demonstrate a, any wisdom whatsoever, and it just is really concerning that something like, uh, like that could be mismanaged on his part. Well, I mean, look, your, your point is extremely important, because if we look at the uh, our worldwide competitors, let's call them competitors rather than adversaries, certainly Putin in Moscow and Xi in Beijing uh, are, are must be deeply concerned with the implication of a, uh, of, of a Biden decision-making process. Uh, strongly suggested that the, the, the pipeline, the Russian pipeline, was blown up by America. That's not been confirmed now, I understand that, but it's strongly suggested... And and, and defended uh, that, in fact, Biden issued an order to blow up that pipeline. Yep. So, yeah, I mean, we're not just alone worrying about Russia and China. They sit there very concerned about the, uh, the, 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 dip, the uh, distorted decision-making process of our president, Bob. Uh, I want to talk to you, Andy, about uh, the uh, Biden's uh, loan forgiveness, student loan forgiveness program. Can you stick around? I'll be here, Bob. All right, we're going to have more here on the uh, Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting uh, Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
Finish what you started with a Hodges University wheel. You can complete your bachelor's degree in as little as one year with your previously earned credits. What's the wheel? It's a customized bachelor's degree in organizational management. Learn about and apply the business, management, and leadership skills you need to advance your career. You can get unmatched educational experience with classes held once a week on campus in Fort Myers, in Port Charlotte, or Naples. You'll be immersed in classes taught by professors with real-world experience in the areas of business, management, and leadership. This degree can be applied to all areas of professional career. Learn more by calling 239-938-7700. That's 239-938-7700. Or visit Hodges.edu. Stay near and go far with Hodges University. times they're changing and trends in funeral services are no exception. The traditional, somber, formal affair marking one's passing is transitioning into a celebratory event where family and friends can gather in more casually in a relaxed setting that incorporates the comforts of home. Each of issues unique. We're all made up of little details that makes us different and irreplaceable. At Hodges Funeral Home at Naples Memorial Gardens, there are many details that set them apart, differences you'll find nowhere else. Hodges Funeral Home at Memorial Gardens offers flexible chapel and event space, a modern funeral home, a celebration of life center, cremation options, and a 100% service guarantee. Call Hodges Funeral Home at Naples Memorial Gardens at 239-597-3101. That's 239-597-3101. Or visit the website dignitymemorial.com. That's www.dignitymemorial.com. Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability. They get the politics and they know the policy. They help prepare your elected officials to win in the legislature. And you can find out more by visiting the website, vfga.org. We continue the conversation with Andrew Joppa, professor and author of Josephus of Oz. Again, Andy, thank you so much for joining us. Good to be here, Bob. Thank you, Andy. So I was looking forward to your comments. I was so intrigued by the reaction to Supreme Court justice in their comments yesterday about Biden's student loan forgiveness program. What are your thoughts? Well, I think that Gorsuch uh, pretty much uh, laid out the, uh, the, uh, the moral case against that in terms of people who've already paid their loans or, or, or people who have gained enormously from them. And he went through the whole uh, uh, litany of, 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 of statements about uh, why this should not happen, almost in a moral sense. <clears throat> Roberts, I think, laid out the case in the legal sense that uh, to have Biden invoke the, the HEROES Act as the basis for a distribution of, of $500 billion is, is certainly uh, seemingly, and I don't think he's rendered an absolute position, which he couldn't do at this point, but seemingly inappropriate to use the HEROES Act, seemingly inappropriate to invoke any constitutional allowance for this to happen. Uh, if it did happen, it would create this almost open-ended uh, ability of the uh, the chief executive, uh, the president, uh, to do whatever he wants, by, or she wants, as the case may be, uh, to invoke some emergency uh, clause uh, to uh, spend wherever, wherever they want. Yep. The concept is inherently absurd. But uh, let, let me just make a point about this. I don't really believe Joe Biden cares whether this is approved or not. 
I think Joe Biden is out to get votes in 2024. How can he do that? He can get those votes by advocating for the student loan forgiveness. And by so doing, those that are rooting for that will, in fact, recognize and acknowledge in the future that Biden was their advocate in this process. Uh I actually think he would prefer to have it defeated, because if it's defeated, he would get the upside of a potential vote without having to experience any of the downside of its success. So I think that's what what is going on here. This is a vote harvesting mechanism. I don't think Biden has any serious uh, commitment to this process. I think this is only a, a, a very devious uh, inter, uh, machination of the Democrat left, a typical process uh, where they are doing something exclusively as a vote harvesting method, Bob. That is so interesting. I didn't give that thought. I, I for one, thought that uh, he probably didn't care if it, if it uh, was approved, uh, primarily because he's already gotten the juice squeezed out of the, uh, out of the process in the midterms. But you're right. He can actually use this as a weapon for uh, the 2024 election. Right, and I, I think if it gets if it gets uh, passed, I think he then has a downside, uh, which will be those people that resent those uh, those funds being forgiven. So right. I think in in his best political interest, I would believe that he does not want this thing to be passed, and I think he probably understood going in that this would be the case. So uh, I think we're looking at a uh, again, a, I don't want to be overly redundant, but a. a pure vote harvesting process. Now, a while back, several years perhaps, I had suggested another way of dealing with the student loan program, if anybody wants to, and I don't really think it should happen at all. But my program was called SLAP, Bob, which is the Student Loan Adjustment Program, SLAP. And I suggested simply that any student who has an outstanding loan can opt for one of two Uh, uh, resolutions. One, they can pay the loan as scheduled, or two, they can pay 5% of their earned income for the rest of their lives. That would eliminate the incredible pressure for people who are not currently working. It would spread the loan over a longer period of time, and certainly many would wind up paying more than the loans, which would offset those that never paid their loans. So, Hmm. again, I'm not saying that's the best answer, but I think that if there is going to be an answer, it has to be something other than an outright forgiveness of these uh, of these huge student loans, Bob. Uh, especially without the authorization of Congress. And well, that, that was Roberts's point. He said something of this enormity, the funding of that enormity, certainly should be in the hands of Congress. And he also added a very, uh, I think, uh, clarifying statement. He said, by the mere fact that Congress did not do this should be an indication in itself that shouldn't be done, Bob. Yeah, no question. So let's move around the world. Just, any thoughts on what's happening in Ukraine and Russia? Uh, well, we've, we've talked about Ukraine quite a bit on, on the show, and uh, there's not a lot new happening uh, with Ukraine. Um, I do think that uh, there's something that's worth weaving into this discussion, and I mentioned it to you off air, is, uh, is the, the, the success of the Russian propaganda in the southern hemisphere, the world's southern hemisphere. Huh. That, it, that comprises 6.3 billion people who live outside the West. Of those 6.3 billion, 60% feel positively towards Russia, and 70% feel positively towards China. 
this, so the, and these numbers hold across the, uh, the uh, Saudi Arabia, Malaysia, India, Pakistan, Vietnam, almost all of Southeast Asia, almost all of the African continent, and much of South America all view Russia, and in many cases, perhaps more cases, they China favorably. The yeah. reasons apparently are is that the many of these nations hold animus towards the old uh, European colonialists, and they see this war, as, as it is in their mind, as a war, a European war that they have no stake in, that they have no uh, vested interest in. They see historically that it's been Russia and China that have been the ones that have stood by them as they sought their own independence or, mm. or severance from any kind of colonial control. So what we're seeing, and I don't think it can be ignored, is the success of Russia and China in terms of gaining propaganda control of 6.3 billion people. Now, that's about 80% of the world's population, Bob. That is an incredible observation. And I'll add, my, my concern, of course, is that we're beginning to see a growing alliance between China as well as Russia, and then you can start to throw Iran in there, and uh, others who will, uh, I think, start to create a new axis of evil, if you will, or a new axis of power. And uh, then that, that leads to the, the issues that you're raising. In other words, I see us, because of Biden's lack of leadership, uh, I see the window closing in terms of our strength and influence around the globe. I don't think there's any, in my, in my estimation, I don't think there's any doubt that that's true. Uh, if we look just at the person who is Joe Biden, uh, um, he, I, by the way, I don't think this is an age, I really dislike when these are described as age-related. Right. This is a Joe Biden-related issue. There are many people that I know, you know, many historic figures that have been into their 80s, even their 90s, yep. offering incredible wisdom uh, to the societies in which they function. So this is not about age, as many have made it. This is specifically about the, the, the nature of who Joe Biden is. And if anyone thinks this isn't being uh, understood by world leaders across the entire globe, then I, I, they're absolutely wrong. They clearly understand whether this is made public, whether this is their public position on Biden, it is obvious that they are seeing Joe Biden uh, in his infirmity, and, and I think they understand that makes America a dangerous nation right now for all of them, Bob. Absolutely. And, uh, well, of course, it kind of raises the question right now of uh, the absence of uh, President Donald Trump and his importance, uh, leadership through strength. And uh, once he left office, how uh, Biden began to dismantle that entire program, it's, it's led us to where we are right now. Uh, let me just leverage that, as long as you're bringing up Trump. Let me, let me leverage that into something I just wanted to mention as the thought. Uh, I, as you know, and I've made this clear to you and your audience, I am a, 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 a real supporter of Donald Trump. I have been since the, uh, the late primaries in 2016. Right. Uh, and I see now that Donald Trump is not only the right person for the presidency in 2024, but he is a president of necessity in the sense that if there is one statement that America could make that the left has not succeeded, that their propaganda has not been successful, that the media has not controlled them, that the bureaucracy of Washington is no longer in control. If there's one statement we could make that would do all of that, it would be the re-election for the third time 
of Donald Trump in 2024. I'm not even dealing at that point, Bob, with the specific policies. I know that, uh, as you were, and I think that could be done, obviously. Mm-hmm. But what I'm talking about is the statement that it makes if Donald Trump is put back in the Oval Office in 2024. I couldn't agree more. I mean, you hear a lot of discussion about DeSantis and others that could be candidates. In my mind, I think his his candidacy is unstoppable. I just understand it right now with his following, how anybody could possibly challenge him successfully in the Republican Party. I think that's true. I, I, as I've said many times, and I, I, I think you've agreed with me, as I remember, uh, I hope Ron DeSantis doesn't run. It has nothing negative about Ron DeSantis in my mind. I just don't think the timing is right for him, uh, and I think he will damage both himself and Donald Trump if he tries to do that. So I hope he doesn't run. Yeah. Uh, anyway, we have so much more to talk about. Can you stick around? I'll be here. Bob. All right. We're going to have more here on the Bob Harden Show on the uh, Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. You have questions about your retirement? Ameriprise Private Wealth Advisor Jason Nardella with Nardella Financial Group, a private wealth advisory practice of Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, can help. With the exclusive Confident Retirement Approach, you'll work together to develop a retirement roadmap to get you where you want to go. Call Nardella Financial Group today at 239-325-1041. That's 239-325-1041. Office is located at 9015 Stratistel Court, Suite 103, Naples, Florida. The Confident Retirement Approach is not a guarantee of future financial results. Investment advisory products and services are made available through Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, a registered investment advisor. Blue Provence Restaurant is a favorite dining destination for many Neapolitans, including Linda and myself. Blue Provence, located in a historic building in the heart of Old Naples at Creighton Cove, offers a mix of French bistro cooking with bold, fresh Floridian flavors. Experience award-winning cuisine at Blue Provence and enjoy one of Florida's most extensive, eclectic, and fun wine cellars. Dining your choice of the popular Eden Bar, the intimate Courtyard Garden, or the beautiful Provencal Caribbean Dining Room. Enjoy a wonderful and memorable evening in a casual and relaxed atmosphere that includes a taste of Provencal hospitality. Blue Provence is open seven days a week, all year round. Visit BlueProvenceNaples.com for reservations, everyday specials, and coming events. That's BlueProvenceNaples.com or call 261-8239. That's 261-8239. Blue Provence French Restaurant in the heart of Old Naples. Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show as we're providing you news and commentary rooted in the commitment to individual liberty, personal responsibility, limited government, and the rule of law. We continue the conversation with Andrew Joppa, professor and author of Josephus of Oz. Again, Andy, thank you so much for joining us. Good to be here, Bob. 
Thank you, Andy. So off air, we, uh, you brought up a concept of legalism and China. I didn't quite understand. Maybe you could uh, elaborate in the well, letter. Well, let's see if we have the time to make sense of this. If not, I'll pick it up next week. Historically, China has been very committed to its classic philosophies, the philosophies of the emperors that are called. And there's two that have dominated China ever since its origins 3,000 years ago. Uh, Confucianism from most of that period, and legalism. Uh, we should not hear the word legalism as being a, a reverence for uh, legality and so forth. It is a total governmental philosophy. When Mao Zedong took control of China, uh, he clearly identified that he was aligned with the first Qin emperor. Now, that was in the 3rd century B.C. Uh, he, when he said that he was like Qin Shi Kuang, that was the first Chinese uh, emperor in the, in the Qin dynasty, uh, he identified clearly with that. Once Deng uh, uh, Xiaoping took over in China, it reverted more to Confucianism. Now, Confucianism is one that, that believes men are good and the government should just be good uh, to support the natural goodness of people. Legalism is a total philosophy suggesting humanity is bad. Mm. It must be controlled with strong, draconian laws, that the only thing that matters is the laws defending the state and, and the leadership. So what we're seeing right now in China is a reversion to a legalist philosophy which dominated the philosophies of the Qin dynasty in the 3rd century B.C. Uh, Americans have a tough time conceiving of the persistence of these philosophies, but they are there, they've been there ever since the beginning, and it's either been Confucianism or legalism. Hmm. What we're seeing now is a strong reversion of legalism. Now, one of the concepts that would be associated with that is the total rejection of anything Western. Now, as best I can understand it by my readings on this, that includes the rejection of communism. Rejection of communism. This isn't saying they're going to be uh, less dictatorial or less uh, draconian in their methods. Actually, it suggests they'll be more than that. Uh -huh. But everything Western will have to go. And that's what we're seeing right now, I believe, uh, in, in, in uh, formerly communist China. I'll still use that, uh, that phrase. But I think we're seeing something far more significant and far more powerful. The embracing of a philosophy that has had a 25-year persistence in China seems to now be dominating the actions of Z in China. So, uh, yes, you, I think you've correctly uh, pointed out the fact that it's the uh, government power right now that's uh, uh, embracing legalism. But I wonder if it's the if it's the Chinese people. I don't think so. I think I I think they're tolerating, not necessarily embracing legalism. Well, if if we look at how the the Qin Dynasty in the third century took control of the warring states and was the first unifying dynasty of, of China, uh, the, the people, the the laws and the the punishments were so draconian that there was no ability of the people to resist. And I think that is what we're, we've seen in Hong Kong. I think that's what we can maybe project as seeing happening in Taiwan. I think it's uh, what we've seen happening with the Ugyars in the western part of China. So I think we can see that uh, the, the position of the people is in the mind of a legalist far less significant in creating enough punishment-based legal systems uh -huh. uh, to ensure that they will do what they are told. And I think that is what we're seeing right now, Bob. That is so interesting. <clears throat> it kind of leads to the question about what's the consensus on Wuhan. Any comments or thoughts about that? 
Uh, about the Warren Lab leak? Yes. Well, the, the, well, it's something that's been clearly identified as the most likely potential ever since the very beginning. The fact that there is at least, I think, uh, Christopher Ray yesterday indicated that uh, in his mind that is the far most likely source. The State Department hedged their bets, and they said there, uh, the, uh, there was some uh, views on both sides, but there was no consensus. To say there's no consensus is a cop-out position. I mean, if there's a, a thousand people... Uh, uh, stating their position on something and one is in dissent, then there could be a lack of consensus. So to not define it clearly uh, yeah. as a uh, as the most likely position, uh, and the importance of that I don't think can be overstated. If this is not clearly identified, and there aren't pressures put on China as best we can to minimize the chances of an asymmetric war being launched by China, which I think they did with the release of the COVID vaccine, mm-hmm. We've talked about the asymmetric war concept of China before. Uh, War by other means, asymmetric war. Uh, So I think unless there is immediate pressure put on China, I think the possibility of this kind of asymmetric warfare being launched in the future uh, is dramatically increased, Bob. I think you said the release of the vaccine. I think you meant the virus. Oh, yes, yes, uh, yes, yes, of course. Okay, so uh, your concern is it could... I'm getting old, Bob. <laughs> no, well, aren't we all? Let's yeah. hope. So uh, uh, I think your concern is that uh, that it could be used as a asymmetric uh, t- a tool of war in the future. What I, I think all of this kind of gets to the question about uh, reparations for Americans and what China has done to the United States and uh, our friends around the globe... Uh, Where's this all going? I don't know where it's going. I think what we're seeing is a, a, a rather uh, unusual unified defense of China from, uh, from uh, so many uh, official sources or media sources in America that it's, it's one of great concern. I, yeah. I, I can't understand why there's this unified defense of China. I'm not suggesting China should be attacked, but... Uh, more and more comments that suggesting this is a uh, a China-based um, uh, virus is is racist, and uh, I I don't understand that. Other than the obvious, which is that there are too many people making too much money off the relationship with China, Bob. Excellent observation again, Andrew Joppa, professor and author of Josephus of Oz. It's a terrific read. Off topic for today's discussion, but I hope you check it out. Josephus of Oz by Andrew Joppa. Andy, as usual, I always appreciate your our conversations and uh, our discussions on on Wednesday. Thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Take care, Bob. Thank you very much. Well, that's a wrap here on today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, I hope you join us tomorrow. We're going to visit with uh, Dr. George Markovich, orthopedic surgeon. Keith Flaws, the co-founder of the Florida Citizens Alliance. Seton Motley will be with us. He's the founder uh, and president of Less Government. And the former mayor of Naples, always appreciate his unbridled commentary about what's happening locally here. Uh, uh, Mayor Bill Barnett will join us as well. Always appreciate your comments on the show. You can send me an email at bobharden at hotmail.com. Also, if you enjoy the show, please pass the word. Uh, let your friends know uh, and suggest they listen as well. That's how we support our advertisers, and we couldn't do the show without them. I hope you make it a great day on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste. so much for listening to the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
For more information and audio files of previous shows, visit www.bobharden.com. 